The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am delighted to welcome a colleague, Ms. Janice Bissex. She is a fellow registered dietitian, a culinary nutritionist, a holistic cannabis practitioner, and end-of-life doula. Janice is also known as Cannabis Janice. She received her undergraduate degree in food and nutrition from the University of Maine, her Master of Science in Nutrition from Boston University. She completed training at the Culinary Institute of America and the Intermediate Wine Program at Boston University. She received her Holistic Cannabis Practitioner Certification through the Holistic Cannabis Academy and completed the Cannabis Fundamental Certificate Program at Greenflower. She attended the End-of-Life Doula Program at the University of Vermont. Before her practice focused on cannabis, her work included serving as nutrition consultant to the U.S. Senate, the Boston Harbor Hotel, and the New England Heart Center. Today, her mission is educating others on the safe use of cannabis and CBD for treating a wide variety of debilitating conditions. She is co-program director of cannabinoid medical sciences at John Patrick University School of Integrative and Functional Medicine. She serves on the CRX Magazine Advisory Board and is the author of several books, but her latest is titled The Simple Guide to CBD, Fact, Fiction, and a Path Forward. Welcome, Janice. Thanks, Melinda. It's really a pleasure to be with you. You have such a fabulous history of your work (laughs) and how it's all come together. We met at an Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Association meeting. We were both in attendance at a pharmacy presentation, I believe, on cannabis. And I think we were both just taken by the wealth of information But I want to know how you first became interested in cannabis. Well, I'll take you back a little over four years ago, and my dad suffered some severe pain. He had some health issues. He had severe pain from multiple spinal fractures. And the doctors gave him the traditional pain medications. That's what most doctors do. And he was a very vibrant guy, and he felt groggy and was so severely constipated by these pain meds that it required a four-day hospitalization. Now, you're a dietitian. I don't need to tell you how that went. It was awful. So at the end of this hospital stay, I said to his doctor, isn't there anything else we can do for his pain? And I said, what about medical marijuana? And honestly, Melinda, I knew nothing about medical marijuana. In fact, I kind of used air quotes around the medical part because I didn't know that cannabis, which is what it really should be called, could be used medically. I honestly didn't know, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't know that four and a half years ago. So when the doctor said, yes, I think that's a great idea, I started doing some research, and the more I read, the more I thought, are you kidding me? Why didn't anyone recommend this a year ago? So we got my dad certified. He tried it. He found relief, and that day I said, that's it. I'm leaving my business of 15 years. I'm going back to school to learn more and 
basically just to help other people navigate this world of medical cannabis and CBD because it can be a little bit confusing. It absolutely can. And I think that because we don't have national legalization, we don't have those national protective organizations or agencies helping us choose or select products in the marketplace that are truly what they say they are on the label. So we'll get into that in a bit. One point that I want to make here that I find so interesting is that you had to bring it up, not the physician. Even though the physician said, yes, let's do that, you had to be the one. That is the case, I would say, 99.9% of the time. I gave a talk to some hospice workers, end-of-life workers, and I saw a study that showed that I think it was 90% of people who work in hospice think that using cannabis in the end of life is a good idea, and yet they didn't bring it up. They only replied when a family or patient asked them about it. And, you know, the legality is a tricky thing. I mean, the fact that it is federally illegal really stymies research, the ability of doctors to talk about it. Sometimes they think, oh, I can't talk about it because of the federal legislation. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's not true. They can talk about it. They can suggest it. Right. But there is that fear of the legal ramifications and also the fact that it's a Schedule One classified drug Mm -hmm. and the fact that there is this stigma of long-haired hippies running around Mm -hmm. using this product (laughs) And there's so much good historical data on medical use. And I listened to an interview that you did where you dove into some of the history. And I think that that would be really good for our listeners to understand. So correct me if I'm wrong, but cannabis was used medically even in the United States. Of course, it was used historically globally, but it was used in the United States up until 1942. What happened? Well... It's been used for thousands of years. Doctors would carry it in their medical kit along with willow bark, which we now know as aspirin. And then it was in a pharmacopoeia from 1850, and it was removed in 1942. What happened is in the early 1900s, it's a long story, but a couple of things. We had Mexican immigrants who came over the border, and some of them smoked what they called marijuana. And so there was the guy, Harry Anslinger, who was in charge of prohibition. When prohibition of alcohol ended, he was basically out of a job. So he needed something else to vilify to really retain his job. And he picked cannabis. First he went after heroin. Okay, that's fine. But there wasn't enough business there. So he said, oh, I'm going to go after cannabis. I'm going to rename it. We're going to call it marijuana and tell people that this is a very dangerous drug, that it's coming over the border, and it's going to infiltrate our society. When it was already in our society, it was used medically. The doctors didn't agree with this. The AMA, the American Medical Association, didn't agree with this. And yet he got enough people on his side. And so they passed in 1937 the Marijuana Tax Act, which essentially made it unavailable to people. And he had buddies, too, Hearst, who was the owner of a lot of paper manufacturers. Hemp is very, very sustainable. It is really good for the environment. It grows quickly, and it makes paper and clothing and building supplies. And yet this Hearst was also thinking, oh, I don't want hemp to take over. So he also wanted 
hemp and cannabis to be made illegal. So that's really where it started. And then, you know, we went through to the 1970 with the scheduling as a Schedule One substance, which is ridiculous because that means there's no medical benefit and a high potential for abuse. Both are incorrect. And then we had the Just Say No generation with Nixon and Reagan and drugs are bad and it's going to lead you to other things. You know, cannabis is a gateway drug, which it's not. It can help people get off opioids and even cannabis. You can use CBD to help lower your cannabis dose, lower the THC dose. So the whole thing was politically and racially motivated, the fact that cannabis was made illegal. And we've been deprived of this medicine for 80 plus years, and it's terrible. Yeah. I think understanding the history and the racial significance is Mm -hmm. really important. And I also ask myself a lot, who benefits from keeping this plant at Schedule 1? You know, who is profiting? I I know that (laughs) there was a a gentleman recently in the state, you're based in Melrose, Massachusetts, I'm in Missouri, but there was a gentleman who had been incarcerated for over 20 years due to use of marijuana. So I suspect that the prison industry probably benefits from keeping it illegal. Bingo. But huge. Yep. As huge. well, the prison industry, the private prisons. Yep. They, they count on this flow of people so that they can make money, and they're they're putting people in jail. Mostly young black men have been thrown into jail for possession of cannabis. For, like you said, for 20 or 30 or more years, it is disgraceful. Really, it makes my blood boil when, the more I read about this. So yeah. we have to make it legal. We have to expunge all these prior convictions because people are coming out of prison with felony convictions because they had cannabis in their pocket. It's really time, and there's an act in the Senate right now, the Moore Act, and I'm very confident that that will pass, and we will start making steps towards really racial justice and social justice around this plant. I agree. And if there is a link for those of us listening who want to take an active role in helping pass this legislation, I would like to provide that as well. I don't know what the timeline is for this, but the more of us speaking out for justice and access to, to plants and drugs that can help us feel better, all the better. And in fact, you touched on this, but By legalizing cannabis, we've known that in states that have done that, there's actually been a reduction of those super harmful opioids. Yes. A 25% decrease in opioid overdoses in states that have legalized cannabis. Right. And Queen Victoria used it. I thought that was an interesting historical (laughs) note. Yes. For her menstrual cramps, she used a cannabis tincture. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. You know, before I forget, Melinda, one organization is NORML, N-O-R-M-L, National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. They're doing great work, and they have been for decades to try to legalize this plant. So, well, we'll provide a link. Great. Yes. And then they can become more active politically, which I always encourage. Well, I know there's a lot of terminology, and we touched on cannabis versus marijuana. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about cannabis, CBD, THC, and any other terms that might be confusing. Okay. So we have a cannabis plant. And a hemp plant is a cannabis plant that has less than 0.3% THC. THC is one of the many cannabinoids or compounds in the plant. THC is the one that can get you high, 
doesn't mean it's a bad cannabinoid. It just means in excess it can cause intoxication, just like alcohol in excess can cause intoxication. So there are over 100 cannabinoids. THC is probably the best known. CBD is another cannabinoid. Now, both of these cannabinoids have medical benefits. THC is a little bit better at promoting um, appetite. So people undergoing chemo, older people who have a decrease in appetite, a little dose of THC can be really helpful. They're both good for decreasing pain. They're both anti-inflammatory. CBD is particularly good at decreasing anxiety and depression. Insomnia, I mean, THC, a little dose of THC before bed helps a lot of people sleep. Some people find CBD helps them sleep because of the decrease in anxiety. Other people find if they take CBD right before bed, it's energizing. So they have to take their CBD earlier in the day. So there are all these compounds. There are other compounds in there called terpenes. Now, terpenes are what give plants the smell, the the odor. So lavender contains linalool. That's a terpene that's very calming. Cannabis contains linalool. Limonene is found in citrus fruits. It's a little bit energizing. It's a feel-good. You know, when you break open an orange and you get that really nice smell. Cannabis also has limonene. Then there's myrcene that's also found in mangoes. Myrcene is a little bit more sedating, can help you uh, calm down and sleep. So all of these compounds in the plant work together synergistically. It's called the entourage or ensemble effect. So it's like as dietitians, Melinda, we don't say to somebody, instead of eating your broccoli, why don't you just take a vitamin A pill? Because it's vitamin A and broccoli, and that's why it's good. It's this, a similar thing if you just pluck out one cannabinoid. Yeah, it's, it's going to be okay, but the beauty of the plant lies in the synergy. So what you want is a product that has all of the different players. So if you're talking about CBD, then a full-spectrum CBD product has all the minor cannabinoids and terpenes and their antioxidants and flavonoids. So that will have all of them. A broad-spectrum CBD product has all of them without the THC. Because some people, A, they might be in a job that they're drug-tested, so they can't have THC. And then some people just aren't interested in the THC aspect of the plant, even though a full-spectrum CBD product is going to have so little THC that it would not be intoxicating. Well, let me take one break because we're halfway through and just remind our listeners, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Foods Luth Radio. We are joined by Ms. Janice Bissex. She is a registered dietitian and holistic cannabis practitioner. You know, one of the things I think of, Janice, is so often in our training as dietitians, we've been told that when there's one product that makes a lot of claims, it's a red flag for potential fraud. And first of all, your website, again, is just excellent when it comes to finding out what kinds of conditions cannabis might be helpful for, as well as frequently asked questions and resources, the scientific resources to back up using this plant. So getting back to this one plant many cures issue, there's anxiety, autism, epilepsy, PTSD, pain, insomnia. Gosh, is it true that one particular product can really help all those conditions? You know, it does sound crazy. And given our scientific background, you know, I always pause when I, and I really don't like products that have these claims. It will do this. It will do that. But I will tell you that we all have an endocannabinoid system. 
So it's a, we, it's a system in our body of neurotransmitters or receptors. There are enzymes and there are endocannabinoids. So we make cannabinoids in our own body. We don't have to get them from the plant. We make at least two. Anandamide is one. It's called the bliss molecule. So if someone doesn't make enough anandamide, then their incidence of anxiety and depression is increased. It's fascinating. So what you can do if you take, let's say you take a CBD supplement, what it does is it allows your body to retain more of the anandamide that it makes. It keeps more in your blood, and that's how the, a CBD product can, can, may, potentially. It does not work for every person for every condition, but it can get your endocannabinoid system back into balance, and that's the goal of this system. It's homeostasis or balance, and when it becomes out of balance, it can lead to things like fibromyalgia, migraines, irritable bowel syndrome. Dr. Ethan Russo has done great research on this, and he feels that it's an endocannabinoid deficiency that is a contributing factor to many, many disorders in our society. So again, if you can get that system back into balance, it does affect your whole body. So it can affect a lot of different conditions, and that's why it's not a pill that you take for one condition. And, you know, the polypharmacy issue, I, you know, I've, I just worked with someone, the same, this, this issue that they, they were given a drug for their inflammatory bowel disease. Okay, that caused nausea. Well, then they were given Zofran for the nausea. And then some people develop GERD from these medications. Okay, so now they're given another medication for GERD. And that's what happens, and people end up on all these medications. And it is possible that cannabis or CBD can actually provide the pain relief, the anxiety relief, without turning to all of these pharmaceuticals. Hmm. So when I go into the marketplace, I am faced with a shelf of products. And it does boggle the mind, doesn't it, when you go into one of these natural food stores and there are so many supplements. And even I, with a like you, a master's degree in nutritional science, it's really hard to choose the right supplement. And we hope that there are national organizations and agencies that oversee these products, such as the FDA. However, again, because cannabis is not nationwide legal, we don't have that agency protection. How do I choose the best products and avoid fraud? Mm-hmm. Good question. What I advise people to do is to look to see if their product is organically grown. Now, because of the the legal status, you can't say that your CBD or cannabis product is organic, but you can look for organically grown plants because cannabis and hemp are bioaccumulator plants, which means that they draw toxins out of the soil. They planted hemp over after the Chernobyl nuclear accident in Russia to clean the soil. So that's why I think organically grown is important. I prefer USA-grown hemp or cannabis personally. Uh, I think that it's a little bit safer. Not that they don't grow good hemp other places, but I prefer to stick with USA-grown. You look for fuller broad-spectrum products because an isolate product is just that one cannabinoid. And that's what these pharmaceutical companies are coming out with, Marinol, just THC, Epidiolex, just CBD, 
But what we're finding is the side effects from these medications are much, much higher. You need a higher dose to get the same effect as a broad-spectrum or a full-spectrum whole plant product. So you want to look for that. You definitely want to ask for a certificate of analysis. So CBD products can go through a process. You send it to an independent lab, and they tell you what is in there. So I do that with my products. I send them out. I say, tell me what's in here. So you want to ask for that. You want to look and see, okay, is what's on the label really in the product? Because the FDA did a study and found that 70% of CBD products on the market were mislabeled. Mm. And that's just a waste of money if you're buying a CBD product because they're expensive. It's expensive to organically grow, to dry it, to cure it, to extract it to bottle it. It's an expensive process. So a good quality CBD product, unfortunately, is going to be relatively expensive. So what people have done, the bad people, you know, they put hemp seed oil or olive oil in a bottle and put a CBD label on it and try to sell it. Mm. And so you have to be very careful of that and just ask for a certificate of analysis. Okay. And I just want to plug your website, Janibus wellness.com. Of course, I will provide that link, but you've got some really good information about just these types of issues. Now, Janice, when I'm going to purchase a product, I don't know how much to take. You know, I've got some tendinitis in my knee. Do I take something orally for that or do I get something that I'm applying to the skin? How do we know about product and dosage? What's best? Well, that's why it's important to work with someone who knows what they're talking about. And that's typically not if you go online or stop at your local gas station to buy CBD. That's not the person. So the dosing range is very large. So what I always say to people is start low and go slow. So we want to start at a very small dose because some people, I have clients who are getting relief with four milligrams of CBD. That's a very low dose. Some people need... 25. Some people need 50 milligrams. Some people need more. So we start low and we work our way up until we can find that dose that's right. Now, a topical CBD can be really effective for people who have tendinitis, who have bad knees, arthritis in their knees. I've got a lot of clients who find great relief just putting a topical salve on their knees before they go out for a walk. Neuropathy. I had a woman who said she woke up with two new feet when she put CBD salve on her feet before bed. Uh, People for migraines, I have migraine clients, and they actually find relief putting a topical CBD salve on their forehead when they start feeling the pain. Now, I read a study that said that, and honestly, Melinda, I didn't believe it because I thought there's no way, there's no way that can work. But I have a couple of clients who swear by it. So you can take it internally. You can put a tincture under your tongue. You can take a soft gel. You can apply it topically. There are water-soluble CBD products where the bioavailability is much higher, and so you can use less. So there's a wide variety of products. There are products with a little bit of melatonin to help with sleep, with extra curcumin to really boost the anti-inflammatory effect. So you really just have to do your research. And I always think it's nice if you're going to buy a product that there's someone that you can talk to, which is very unusual, that if someone is selling, if there's CBD online, can you really call and talk to somebody who really knows what they're talking about? But that's a plus, too, if you can find a company that that also provides a little bit of guidance. Right. And I have looked to see what states will even allow 
they're very variable, whether it's you're allowed to use medicinal cannabis, Mm -hmm. whether you can grow some plants. Right. How do we navigate that? Yeah. I mean, that you have to, uh, there are 35 states that allow medical cannabis, and there are 15 states that allow medical and adult use. You know, people call it recreational. I call it adult use because... Do we call alcohol recreational alcohol or medicinal because I'm having wine to help? It's, it's adult use. So there are 15 states that allow that. In the states that you cannot get it, I mean, there are people who leave a state, in particular if they have a child that's being treated with medical cannabis for things like autism, epilepsy. They move their family to go to a state where it's legal. I mean, that's insane. It is. We need to make this available nationwide to anyone who could benefit from it. Absolutely. I wanted to bring up one other point before I leave it to you to bring up anything that you want to make sure we've heard. But is there anyone who should not be using CBD? Are there drugs that might have an interaction? Yes, I wanted to get to that. There are certain medications that you have to be cautious. So if you take Coumadin, for example, If you took CBD, an oral CBD, so a pill or an edible, at the exact same time as your Coumadin, it's possible that your blood level of Coumadin could go up or down a little bit. So if someone is taking Coumadin, they either need to, if they want to take it in the pill form, they need to take it several hours apart from the Coumadin. Or what I typically do is I advise these people to use a tincture. Because using a tincture, it goes into your blood right away. It doesn't go through that first pass metabolism through the liver, so it's much safer. So really, any medication that interacts with grapefruit, we need to be a little bit cautious about taking an oral, an ingestible CBD or cannabis at the same time as that medication. Some medications, if it goes up or down a tiny bit in your blood, it's really not a big deal. But it's possible that it could increase the side effects from certain medications because there might be more left in your blood if you take it at the exact same time as the CBD. Okay, this is good to know. And this information is also available on your website, which again, we will provide a link. We just have a minute left and I want to make sure, is there anything else that you really want our listeners to know before we have to close? I think what I want people to know, I would like people to not judge others who are using cannabis, or CBD, because there's still a lot of stigma out there because people don't understand. And I had that stigma four and a half years ago. I gave a talk at a dietetic association meeting. A dietitian reached out to me the day before, said, I can't go to the meeting, but thank you for doing this because I use medical cannabis to help manage my Crohn's disease. And I said, oh, that's a great story. Can I share that? And she said, I'd rather you not because some of my colleagues will be at the conference. So people are embarrassed by using medical cannabis because of the stigma. So I would urge everybody out there, please try to understand that people are using this for a variety of reasons to help manage their anxiety, so many different disease states. So let's try to be open and understanding. Perfect. 
Well, I need to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Janice Bissex, registered dietitian and holistic cannabis practitioner. Her website is chock full of great information. It's simply www.janabiswellness.com. We'll provide a link. Janice, thank you so much for delving into this really important work and for helping us learn how to find relief for so many problems. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Melinda. 